You're listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. Welcome to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast, where each week we explore Christian responsibility in adopting Bitcoin. I'm Matt Solik, your host, and we're so excited to have you with us wherever you're listening. Today, Patrick meets with Chris Hunter, the co-founder and president of Galloy. If you don't know, Galloy develops and supports open source software that lets communities of any type and any size self-organize as a Bitcoin bank. In their conversation today, Hunter opens up with us about some of the work already completed by him and his team, along with some of the exciting new things he sees on the horizon for Bitcoin and Galloy. We're excited for you to listen to this one today. So without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Chris Hunter. Hey, Hunter, thanks for joining us today. And uh, for the audience sake, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself and kind of tell us who you are and who you work for? Sure. I'm, I'm Chris Hunter. Most people call me Hunter, my last name. Um, I'm co-founder and president of Galloy. And Galloy is a, a U.S.-based corporation with a global footprint, and we want to make it easy for people to use Bitcoin as money. We can talk about the details there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting Hunter um, virtually and then down at the Adopting Bitcoin Summit that you guys hosted in El Salvador, which that Hunter, just kudos. That was just such a fantastic conference. And I know that took a lot of work and effort. So kudos to you for doing that. And um, for those who aren't aware, Galoy is kind of the the genius or the impetus behind the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. Um, so Hunter, if just kind of talk through that process. How did you guys get involved in El Zante, Bitcoin Beach? And um, yeah, how, how did that all happen? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really speaks to the origin story of our business. So maybe I'll take a a moment to set the table there and it it informs how we ended up in El Salvador. So, you know, uh, Nicholas Bertie and my my partner and I started Galloy about two years ago. And Nicholas and I have both been entrepreneurs in a B2B context, business to business context before, but never in the world of Bitcoin. And, you know, we wanted to start a, a B2B business focused on Bitcoin. And we kind of to make a long story short, concluded that we want to skate to where the puck is going. And what I mean by that is, you know, Bitcoin's 13 years old. It's been a speculative asset most of its life. It's only now starting to emerge as to one might call a store of value or digital gold, if you will, right? And still very early days for that narrative. What we're building at Galois is for where we have complete conviction in terms of where Bitcoin is going, in terms of Bitcoin becoming truly money, right? I have complete conviction, as does Nicholas, that 10 years from now, maybe 15 at the most, Bitcoin will be the most widely used money in the world, even more common than U.S. dollars. And I'm not saying U.S. dollars is going to go away, but that's that's our point of view. Right. And, you know, the, the other piece of context here is, you know, open systems always went over the long run. And so the Internet was gifted to us in 1983 with all these protocols, right, HTTP, SMTP, FTP. And it's really curious to us because we have 100 percent certainty that, number one, Bitcoin has already won the battle to be internet native digital money, right? Money over IP, if you will, right? We were given no protocol in 1983 for money or identity when the internet is created. Bitcoin won that battle a long time ago because of the brand and the network effects and the security and all the, the elements that you can probably, you know, talk to your listeners about another time in terms of Bitcoin. And so we have complete conviction about that. And, it, you know, the internet was built up in layers, right? If you had talked to an internet technologist 25 years ago, and described what we have on our iPhone or Android phones today on HTTP, they probably said it would be impossible, right? But we built all these layers on HTTP in order to enable this magical internet world we live in today. And that's gonna happen similarly with, with Bitcoin, right? And the first layer on top of the base layer protocol is Lightning. 
right? And so we're building on that layer. And I'll, I'll stop talking there because I actually haven't answered your question, but I'll come back to it in the origin story of, of our, the thesis behind our business and how we ended up on El Salvador. But those bits in terms of Bitcoin is money, Bitcoin will become the most widely used money on this open protocol, right? Money over IP. And what we're building at Galloway is basically, we want to be the number one infrastructure company in the world to allow companies and communities and governments to use this way, right? So we don't want to be the bank, but we want to give people the capabilities to set up their own banking and payment solutions on, on top of our tech stack. So I think it's important to start there and then maybe come back to your question in a moment. Okay, perfect. And so get back to the origins and what did you want to create and what is Galloy? How is it different today than what you guys envisioned or are you pretty much on plan? Sure. I mean, the, the, the interesting twist at the outset of the story, going back to basically early 2020. So this is February, March, right as the pandemic is descending. You know, Nicholas and I would have loved to have launched our first wallet in the United States. Right. But it just wasn't feasible because the rules and regulations regarding money transmission are too onerous in the U.S. and the tax treatment. You know, Bitcoin transactions being taxed as a capital gains event every time just made it impossible to innovate. Right. That's chapter one. Chapter two, we published our thesis in summer of 2020, where we compare Bitcoin to FedWire, right? Most people read the Bitcoin white paper from Satoshi and they see peer-to-peer cash, right? And they think, oh, I should compare Bitcoin to Visa or PayPal. And that's where they go wrong. In our thesis, we compare Bitcoin to FedWire. And FedWire is where all settlement of US dollars happens, and it's controlled by the US Central Bank, the Federal Reserve. And FedWire is a closed private members book. There's only 9,000 entities that have access to it. You and I don't have access, right? It only operates a limited number of hours per week, right? You have final settlement in FedWire in three to five days, right? And it's not extensible in any way, right? Bitcoin base layer protocol is completely different, right? It operates 24 7, 365. It's non discriminatory. If you're a human with an internet connection, you can access Bitcoin. Right. You have final settlement in 30 minutes after three confirmations, not three to five days. And it's completely extensible. And this is another analogy where, you know, Fedwire, we built all these layers post World War II with commercial banks. And then 1956, Diners Club, the first credit cards, so credit cards, ATMs, peer to peer. We're going to build those layers and this new open money financial system. And so we published our thesis and I went to raise a round of seed capital from, you know, well known venture capitalists in summer of 2020 many of whom I had known for years, and they all rejected us. They mm. said, we love you, Nicholas, as a team. We totally believe your thesis is right, and yet we're giving you no money because we think you're five years too early, mm. which eventually comes back to your question of how we ended up in El Salvador, because in August of 2020, we just cold called Mike Peterson. We had read about him in Forbes magazine. We had heard him on the Tales from the Crypt podcast, and we felt like we could bring value and innovate and experiment in a positive fashion in El Salvador, which is really the origin story of the Bitcoin Beach Wallet, and perhaps part of the origin story of Bitcoin becoming legal tender in, in country. And so, you know, listening to the story and, and the layers that you're creating, I mean, if you could describe what differentiates what you were envisioning and what you are compared to like what Strike is. Sure. So the short version is, I think two years ago, Nicholas and I envisioning we're creating a neobank focused on Bitcoin, right? As I mentioned, you know, now we don't want to be the bank. We just want to be the number one software and infrastructure company in the world to allow other people to create their own expressions of a bank and can talk about that more. So that's one difference. Second is we launched in El Salvador because we could innovate there, right? There is no, it's a dollarized economy, right? Most people as individuals don't have access to financial services. Most merchants don't have access to financial services and it's regulation light, which allowed us to innovate. And 
just to be clear, we're not looking to do anything malfeasant because there's no regulation there. It's just what allows us to innovate in a way that we can't do in the U.S. or Europe or Japan, right? And so that that was a little bit different as well in terms of, you know, we changed from being the bank to being just the infrastructure software behind banks, right, with banking solutions. And then we changed kind of our focus in terms of not starting in the U.S. and going to El Salvador. And then, you know, you mentioned Strike and there's others like BitRefill or Paxfill or Ibex. You know, I think there's two distinctions that might be useful for your viewers to know about there. One is just the breadth of services that we're creating. We, we're creating full stack solutions for to do anything you want on banking, to send and receive money, to spend it as money over lightning. But also, you know, if you're a merchant, you need basic accounting modules, debits and credits. You know, the core lightning implementations don't even have basic stuff like that, let alone KYC AML checks at the front end or velocity checks as stuff's been through the system to do fraud protection. How do you do refunds or chargebacks or tax reporting, right? So we're building all of these solutions, right? So the breadth of our ambition is much more than some of the narrow solutions you see from other companies in the market. That's one distinction. The second distinction, we're the only company, as far as I can tell, building on Lightning that's open source. And we feel this is important for two reasons. One, it's in line with the spirit of what Satoshi put forward in the white paper and open systems always win given a long enough time horizon. And number two, we're dealing with people's money. And last time I checked, money's kind of important to people. And building on Lightning is not easy. And stuff goes sideways for us and every other company in the Lightning ecosystem every day. And so as a consumer, whether an individual consumer or business consumer, you can say, hey, am I going to use this technology stack that's a black box, completely opaque, or am I going to trust somebody like Galloy who has all of their code on GitHub? You can go look at it right now. It's all well documented. You can audit it. It's transparent, which you know gives at least, if not the perception, the reality that like it's more secure because anybody can try to poke holes in our code anytime and you can see where stuff goes wrong or goes right. And so as an open source company, we think that's really critical as well. That's fantastic. I can tell you practice that pitch a lot. That's excellent. Um, the, I, and so I, I guess Hunter, the, when you say that you don't want to be the bank, but you're providing that, that interface, it, it, it sounds like almost you're providing, and I'm kind of reiterating to, to better understand. Um, it sounds like you're providing almost a, a modular plug and play solution that if I'm a if I'm a retailer or a, a merchant and I don't need your your accounting accounting software or whatever I don't have to use that but if I if Galoy comes up with that at some point and I want to manage inventory or accounting or whatever I can plug that into my Lightning wallet and I can make it what I want it to be for my purpose is that is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. That's part of the story here. And so let me build on what you're just saying, because you're exactly accurate. You've astutely kind of summarized the piece of it. So people say, oh, what does Galloway do? Oh, you build banking solutions. Oh, you built the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. So people you know, people have a hard time envisioning the future, especially when the future is very different than the past. And so people say, oh, you build banking solutions for towns. And we will build banking solutions for many hundreds of towns and perhaps every country in the world, right? And we, we can talk about what's happening in Guatemala and Costa Rica and Panama and Cameroon and elsewhere, right? But that's just a very narrow expression of a, a type of community, right? We will build solutions and offer solutions for religious organizations, your church, your temple, your mosque, your country club, your rotary club, your charity. All of those that I've just described, those are different types of communities, mm -hmm. right? A community is just a group of people assembled 
not for profit. At the other end of the spectrum, we have companies, right? A company is just a group of people assembled for profit. We will build for conventional banks. Somebody like JP Morgan Chase will come knocking on our door two years from now and white label our tech stack and services and represent it in the Chase app as their own for Bitcoin and Lightning capability. But the consumer won't know that it's Galloway technology behind the scenes. And we'll do the same thing for Starbucks and sophisticated retail companies that offer credit or banking solutions, right? So we've got companies as a client type with many different expressions, not just banks. And we've got communities as a client type, many different expressions, not just towns, right? And then there's a whole third bucket, and this is where it gets really weird, is we got governments. Bitcoin is non-sovereign digital money. And only 13 years into this experiment, we have sovereign entities coming to us saying, hey, Galloway, can you help us figure out the path we might walk from a technology perspective if we wanted to adopt our, this non-sovereign money as our own, as a sovereign entity? I mean, I'm personally engaged to various levels with the presidencies of six different nation states now in Africa and Latin America. We've got subnational entities like Miami really trying to take the lead here. And so, you know, to, that ties to the astute point you just made a moment ago where governments will use our tech stack differently than companies. And even within companies, different companies will use our tech stack differently than communities will. So we're, we want to provide that full suite of, of solutions, but maybe it's something I've never used this turn of phrase before, but maybe it's something like a Chinese menu where depending upon the client type, they just pick and choose the bits and pieces that they want. That's fantastic. And I th we're going to talk about a, a use case here um, shortly about uh, something in Guatemala that I think will probably express that a little bit more. That's, that's really cool. And I think for many who've not seen the the Bitcoin Beach wallet. I mean that that is essentially a Galois money wallet, if I'm not mistaken. And what I like about it is, especially in a in a new community and a developing country, it kind of contains everything. The 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 community is contained, so to speak, and you're not bringing in all these different wallets. I know on my phone I've got like four or five different wallets and. For me, uh, a solution like the Bitcoin Beach Wallet makes it simple for new introduction of of um, Bitcoin or Satoshi's into into an environment. And what is that? I mean, is that the um, was that the premise behind the Bitcoin? Because I think in at, in El Zante they were working on their own wallet before you guys stepped in. Is that right? Um, they were using other wallets, so they were using Moon Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi, right? And the project was going, you know, being led by Mike. Peterson and Jorge Angevera, who are kind of worldwide famous now, so you can just call them by their first names. And, you know, they had real momentum for a year just educating people, but they didn't really have a technological solution that worked for them, right? So Nicholas and I approached them cold, right, in August, September of 2020, about a year and a half ago, and said, let us build a technology solution that actually meets your needs, right? Yeah. And so what kind of in complete contradiction to what I said, like Galloway doesn't want to be the bank, but we actually created a community bank here as our proof of concept, because the venture capitalists want to give us money. We just needed to prove to the world we weren't five years too early. This stuff actually was viable in 2020 and 2021, right? So it's called the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. It's an actual sophisticated wallet you can download from the iOS store or the Google Play store. But there's also a back end contained in there in terms of a, a cold storage multi-six solution for shared custody, right? And other bits and pieces that actually allow people to use it really functionally. So you can send and receive on-chain Bitcoin, right? and you can send and receive lightning invoices right within the app. There's also a username feature where I can send it to, if you were Patrick within the wallet, I could just send it to Patrick. I don't have to scan a QR code. I don't have to input a, a string of characters and letters, right? There's a map feature, which is really useful, right? Because a lot of the merchants who use the wallet they don't have a physical storefront, right? It might be a, a gentleman pushing a cart down the street selling loaves of bread. Which there's a gentleman mm -hmm. in El mm -hmm. does that, right? And so you can see on the map where 
the person or vendor actually is, right? Who will accept Bitcoin as money through our wallet as well. So we we built all these features just by being on the ground and getting user feedback in El Zante. But you know, it's it's one expression, like we talked about before, of, of a way that this could serve a community or a company or a government based upon their unique needs. It's fantastic. And describe the different custodial options, because I know that the Bitcoin Beach wallet uses a different custodial solution. Uh, describe what the, the solutions are right now. Sure. I mean, just to set the table for your listeners, you know, and in the world of Bitcoin, you typically have custodial and non-custodial wallets, right? And we would love to offer a non-custodial solution at Galloway, right? Just given where Lightning is in terms of building on Lightning, you cannot provide a good user experience today and have a non-custodial solution where the user controls their private keys, which we believe is important, right? Hopefully we'll get there in the years to come. You know, the other solution is custodial. And if your viewers aren't familiar with that, that just means you're trusting somebody like an exchange or effectively a bank to hold you know, the private keys on your behalf, right? What we introduced with a Bitcoin Beach wallet and our banking solution in El Zante is kind of a novel third solution, which is shared custody, right? Where there's a multi-sig solution where most of the, the funds sit in a, a cold storage solution where we partner with Spectre for that, right? There's an omnibus hot wallet where all the thousands of users, anything that they're using to spend money or send and receive on chain comes out of that omnibus hot wallet where a very minority portion of the funds sit and we replenish into the hot wallet from the cold storage as needed or vice versa. If there's too much money in the hot wallet, we move it into cold storage. But money only moves in and out of cold storage through this multi-sig solution and Galloway doesn't control it, right? We have one portion of the private key or the multi-sig setup, I should say, right? N minus one is held by other trusted members of the community, right? And so this works in a high trust environment like El Zante. El Zante is a relatively impoverished town of 3,000 people and nobody ever comes and goes, right? Nobody really emigrates from El Zante to go to university and go out to the world and vice versa. Nobody really immigrates to El Zante and that's important in so much as that Yes, there would be, in theory, the possibility that the other members of the community who hold the majority of the multi-sig setup could collude and run off with the money, but they're probably not going to because if they're doing it, they're running off with their grandmother's money and their brother's money and their buddy's money who lives down the street for the last you know 50 years. And so in high trust environments, what we've delivered works very well. You know, in low trust environments, I live in Miami, right? And if we just did this publicly, you could rest assured the money would be gone the following day, right? And so it's very context dependent in terms of the client, whether the solution would work, but it's, it's something for people to consider. Okay, very cool. And I like the, the open uh, architecture. And again, I'm not a coder, but I understand what that means. And the story of Bitcoin jungle is kind of illustrative of that. They, they took your back end, they took your open source and they created their own solution for their wallet in Costa Rica. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of magical and like, we built our company with this in mind. We didn't expect it to happen so soon. So for your listeners, we're not aware Bitcoin jungle is a project in Costa Rica, you know, which is adjacent to El Salvador and unbeknownst to us, three gentlemen who are very sophisticated technically took our open source code, which they're welcome to do right. And forked it and created their own instance of the code base, as well as created their own version of a, a wallet that's actually live and approved by Apple in the iOS store. And then after only after they had done that, they reached out to us and said, hey, we're doing this, right? But this is great. This is why we want to be an open source company because we have talented people around the world just doing that. And you would say, hey, Galloway, I thought you were running a for-profit business. Why would you do that? Well, number one, we've had a lot of positive interaction with the, the Bitcoin Jungle team over the last two months. And they're actually on a volunteer basis now recontributing back to our code base and developing features that 
anybody else who's a client of Galway going forward can use, right? So that's beneficial to my company. And number two, you know, this lightning stuff is also new. It's not as simple as, hey, I'm going to download the latest copy of Microsoft Office, put it on my laptop and run it. It doesn't quite work like that. Managing the software once it's up and running is more art than science still in terms of you know, standing up the Bitcoin and Lightning nodes, opening and closing channels, rebalancing channels, dealing with different bugs or attacks you might see on the Lightning network, right? And so even a sophisticated team like Bitcoin Jungle is most likely to turn to us going forward and pay for managed services from Galloway to help them manage the instance and optimize it over time. But it's really exciting where we've got people just using our open source code to bring new solutions to new communities on their own without even needing us to, to hold their hand, so to speak. Yeah, it's very cool. Very, very cool. And I, I've appreciated the Galois interaction and participation in the Bitcoin for Communities network that you guys have set up and the, the spaces that you guys have hosted that I've participated in. I think that's just a, a great service to the community. So uh, thank you for that. And I guess with that, I mean, if I think about Galois Money, I would think about Galois as being the Bitcoin for Communities company is, is the way I, I kind of think about it. You've, you guys have just done a great service to the, to the community. So thank you for that. We're, we're, we're here to serve. I mean, we are Bitcoin for communities, but we're also Bitcoin for companies and Bitcoin for governments. As well, just Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get that plug in. Absolutely. And so let, let's segue into, you know, a kind of a, a use case with, you know, the work that we're doing down in Guatemala, starting to um, do down in Guatemala and thinking about the corruption on the local level and, you know, trying to integrate Bitcoin mining. And if that Bitcoin is going into a community or a municipal wallet, you know, there's a, there's a major trust issue and, you know, how have you guys thought through, you know, custodial issues or payout issues in an environment like, like, like that? Because, you know, if we walk in and we want to flare the methane off of the sewage plant and uh, mine Bitcoin, that's municipal money, but we don't want one key holder to abscond with that Bitcoin from that, from that wallet. So, that that seems to be kind of a tricky situation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, these are use cases that we've never seen before, and they have no analogy in the world of traditional banking or finance. Right. That's that's contextually important. You know, to you know, answer your question directly. I think there's kind of two bits here. One is the technical bit, and then the second is kind of the governance bit, or like how you politically handling the funds. Right. The technical bit we can help with. Right. We've got an expression of this already with the Bitcoin Beach Wallet in El Zante, where we've got the shared custody model. Right. The shared custody is a multi-sig solution where you have some X number of parties where you need a quorum. You know. M of N within that quorum in order to move funds, right? And technologically, you know, we would be pleased to help you deliver a solution in Guatemala for this Bitcoin mining solution or, or situation that you're describing. So the, I don't want to say the tech piece is like super simple, but it's straightforward for us to figure that out, right? And the benefit there is, you know, in the context of the Bitcoin Beach Wallet provides a very easy user experience, right? The individual consumers using the app, they don't have to know about private keys, they don't have to memorize a seed phrase, right? And they can just turn to the trusted members of communities if they forget something or don't know what they did with their phone and need to reinstall the app, right? So shared custody provides a great user experience for the consumer in a high trust environment, right? So the technological solution to, to, to your situation with the mining in Guatemala, the real question is, okay, if you're going to have this multi-signature approach, who is going to have a portion of that multi-sig solution and what is the requirement for them to sign off, right? And so you see this all, the, let's just take a different example, not a town in, in, 
El Salvador, well, let's take a Fortune 500 company, right? A Fortune 500 company has a board of directors and an executive committee, and maybe, you know, to send a wire worth more than $10 million, that Fortune 500 company says, we need two of these five people in finance to approve and three of these six people in legal to approve, right? And they've got their own quorum. So it's, it's not like the governance issues are new, right? Like people have been dealing with how do we handle money in less than trusted environments all the time, right? So we, that's more of a kind of a local political issue for you or your colleagues to figure out is like, what would we want people to, like, what are the thresholds you know, in terms of moving money? Who needs to sign off or which portions of this community need to sign off, right? But to build the technical solution behind that to deliver your needs, that's that's a pretty simple piece. And uh, Hunter, what that, that was a great answer. Thank you. And as far as the rollout in um, El Salvador with Bitcoin as legal tender, what, what role did you guys play and what role are you playing in kind of smoothing that that technological transition at this point? Sure. So, I mean, we launched the alpha version of our Bitcoin Beach wallet just to give some people a sense of the timeline um, in country in October of 2020. And then really a, a real useful beta version in um, January of 21, so a year ago, right? And it had kind of taken off, right? Keep in mind, there was no company here, like no local company, no capitalization, no branding at all. Word of mouth in a town of 3,000 people, basically 2,000 adults. By May of last year, about four months in, you know, we had roughly 6,000 weekly active users. So that's before the presidential announcement, Bukele's announcement that Bitcoin would become money, right? And that's all, that proves that it had just already grown across the country just through word of mouth. We'd like to think that what we showed as this proof of concept, you know, gave you know, President Bukele and his colleagues, the confidence that, hey, the Bitcoin can actually be money and it's not some far off pipe dream, right? But just to be clear, we had no formal role in terms of working with the government to develop the Chivo wallet technology, right? And so we were certainly aware of some of the actors who are participant therein, but, you know, the Chivo wallet went wild on September 7th of last year. Um, we, we are not the technology behind Chivo. We were not invited to be the technology behind Chivo and we're, we're quite comfortable with that. We'd rather build a solution that's homegrown and local and people like and trust and hopefully works a little bit better than Chivo and can just serve a need separate and apart from the default government solution. <laughs> That's right. No association with Chivo. We want to make that clear. Um, and I love, you know, I, a couple of uh, interviews ago, we interviewed uh, Josh Young with New Story and I found what they were doing in El Zante with their their homes and what they're, I guess they're doing in uh, Dominican Republic and Mexico. But I think you guys are partnering with them to help those that are in those communities pay these mortgages back in, in a kind of a novel way. Can you kind of describe that? Yeah. So New Story is an amazing organization of charity. I think it's about five years old, maybe even a little bit older, where basically they bring, provide housing solutions to impoverished people around the world who just don't have homes right in there they bring dignity to people, right? If you don't have a home or certainty of a roof over your head, it's kind of tough to do anything else in life other than just live day to day and survive, right? So it's pretty amazing. In El Zante, where the Bitcoin Beach Wall got started, they're in the process now of building 200 homes, right? For 200 families that are effectively homeless or living in substandard conditions. The first six homes, I think, just finished, maybe as of last week, I should actually know these details, but either a couple of days ago or in the next few days, the first six homes will be finished. The first six homeowners will move into their home in El Zante. And New Story is a charity subsidizes, just gives a direct philanthropic grant to pay for half the home cost. And then the other half of the home cost will be paid by the homeowner with a five-year mortgage. And we're 
for the first time enabling the first ever Bitcoin mortgage repayment product in partnership with Ustore. So using our technology, these homeowners every month will pay for their mortgage, their monthly mortgage with Bitcoin via the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. And hopefully this will serve as inspiration, whether for charities or other for-profit entities around the world that, hey, like Bitcoin can be used as money to buy a loaf of bread. It can also be used for novel financial products like repaying your, your mortgage. So we're pretty excited about the partnership. It, yeah, it's fantastic. I love the story. Um, Hunter, what, if you look at, you know, the work that you guys are doing without, you know, divulging what you can. I mean, who, who do you think, which country do you think is going to be next to, to do what El Salvador is doing? Maybe not exactly what they're doing, but who do you think or what region of the world is going to be next, do you think? Well, I mean, it's almost certainly to be, you know, another country in the global south, right? And almost certainly, I mean, all of the focus and like most of the conversation, the positive conversation is either happening in Latin American countries, whether Central South America or Africa. And as I mentioned before, you know, we're actually as a company, Galloy, engaged to varying degrees with different presidencies in terms of just helping them understand Bitcoin, you know, and the various options. You know, El Salvador did a very top-down approach, right? Bukle just got up and said, Bitcoin will be money, legal tender. It's actually going to happen 90 days later. It was really astounding, right? So that's one approach. A different approach is more of a bottom-up approach where, like, what's happening with Bitcoin Jungle or what you're trying to do with Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala, you know, have more of a grassroots movement, right? And so, you know, to come back to your question, I have no idea which country, you know, will go next. But, you know, there's there's more than 10 countries in Africa and Latin America where there's, I would say, meaningful or serious conversations underway, whether, you know, I'll put it this way. I'd be surprised if there's not one or two more countries who don't adopt Bitcoin as legal tender before the end of this year. Right. So that's, it's exciting to contemplate that concept or that possibility, but I I don't, I don't know who's next. What, and I mean, when you're, when you're having these discussions and, or just through knowledge of the industry, I mean, what, what, other than just lack of knowledge, what are the major objections to ad- adopting Bitcoin? Well, I mean, it, it's it's very jurisdiction dependent. So let's look at El Salvador, right? El Salvador abandoned their own currency 21 years ago now, right? They had the cologne, they dollarized in, in the year 2001, right? And, you know, El Salvador has most people, you know, the majority of the population never had access to a bank account. Most merchants don't have a credit card terminal or anything similar, right? So it was really ripe for President Bukele to do something bold like he did, right? Most countries don't fit that bill, right? Most countries have their own currency, right? There's a few countries that have dollarized, right? Even though they're not the United States, there's a few countries that in a similar fashion are on the CFA, the French franc, right? So those countries are probably you know, good candidates, right? Because they don't control their own destiny. They don't have their own central bank, right? They can't print their own money. They basically, a country that's dollarized basically gets all the downside of being on the Fed wire system with none of the upside, right? They, they get money inflated away. They have to deal with all the onerous KYC, AML, FATFA sanction requirements, right? And they basically have no say in anything, right? And so those would seem to be the, the most likely countries. I mean, people, you know, there's a lot of chatter over the last year about Colombia, right? Colombia is very different than El Salvador. It's 10 times the population, 12 times the GDP. It has its own central bank. It has a sophisticated banking sector. It has, you know, a, a robust, diverse economy, right, with manufacturing, with oil and gas exploration. So I'd be very surprised if Colombia would adopt Bitcoin 
this year or potentially even in 2023, right? Just because, you know, it's not as simple as a conversation as it was in El Salvador, where El Salvador, there's real benefit for the population to adopt Bitcoin sooner rather than later. So that's kind of the biggest high level lens I would look use in terms of looking at what country might, you know, for their own self-benefit adopt Bitcoin next it's countries probably that are on a CFA or U.S. dollar standard and don't have, you know, a strong central bank of their own. Yeah. Uh, Hunter, any any parting thoughts or high level um, um, things that you want to share with our audience? And maybe, um, yeah, I mean, where do you where do you guys want to be in the next uh, five years? Are you guys going to be, uh, you know, are you going to overtake strike and and what you guys are offering? Sure. So, I mean, there, there's a couple of bits here since you opened the, the door with a, a positively open-ended question. I mean, one you made mentioned before of the adopting Bitcoin conference, right? And so, you know, in June, and you're going to have that uh, in Guatemala this next year, right? Uh, Guatemala is <laughs> on the short list of possibilities. So I'll, I'll put it that way. And so, you know, that kind of gets at the essence. Like we, Nicholas and I, have never organized a conference of any sort before, right? You know, we're also very busy just trying to build the business yeah, for sure. Yeah. One, right? And we were running around El Salvador in July and August of this year, just after, you know, Google had gotten up, said Bitcoin would be, become money. And we're talking to, you know, banking executives and forget about the CEO. We we're talking to the CTOs, the chief technology officers. And these folks had, they knew nothing about Bitcoin, right? And this was like four, six, eight weeks after the announcement that in their own country, only a month or so away, Bitcoin was going to become legal money. And this was like shocking to us. And this was the inspiration for the Adopting Bitcoin conference, right? Where in, it was the last week of August, we announced we were going to hold this in November, right? And we, we thought this was just going to be a nice little gathering that not have been a global lightning conference for two years. We wanted to educate local business leader and population in country, bringing together some of the best Bitcoin minds from around the world. And the Adopting Bitcoin Summit, which we were at, took on a life of its own. We had 700 attendees from more than 30 countries over three days. And it became such an unforeseen success literally the day after the event when we thought it was going to be a one and done conference. We announced we we're making an annual event, right? So look out for November of this year yet to be announced, maybe Guatemala, maybe somewhere in Africa, who knows, maybe back in El Salvador, we'll host the next conference, right? But then on the back of that, we also um, have started this weekly Twitter space, which happens every Thursday, typically one o'clock Eastern on, on Thursdays, where we host local leaders from around the world who are trying to push the envelope in terms of people adopting Bitcoin in line with the theme of the conference. And you are obviously our, our recent guest on, on the Twitter space. So thank you for that. So I just want to call people's attention to that in part because it speaks to the need still for continued education. Obviously that's what you're doing with your, your series here. That's what we're doing in our own way with the Twitter space and the conference. And like, that's probably the biggest thing we need over the next decade. If we're going to get people adopting Bitcoin, it's just continued education. So I want to call people's attention to that. The second thing is coming back to your question in terms Terms of where we want to be in five years, you know, we want to be the leading company to allow kind of with a push of a button, any company, community or government to stand up their own Bitcoin banking solution with a push of a button. And so the analogy I give my normie friends is 20 years ago, if you wanted to create a software company, it was cumbersome and expensive and difficult, right? You had to buy physical servers. You had to host them on premises in your office. You had to hire your own software engineers as full-time employees, right? Today with Amazon Web Services cloud it's very different you push a button you spend a couple hundred dollars and boom you have a software company in minutes right we think that something analogous is happening will happen with open source money on the bitcoin protocol and we want to be the number one company in the world galloway to enable people to set up their own bank with a push of a button and i'm not suggesting every self-organizing group of people should but we want to provide that possibility whether you're a church or a town or you know a rotary club or a charity or a bank or 
a merchant or whatever the case might be. So that's that's the vision. And I think five years from now, we'll be supporting many governments and many companies and many communities doing just that. Hunter, this has been great. Uh, it's, again, great to see you. And I appreciate it was you who initially invited me down to the Adopting Bitcoin Summit. And I, I came away from that just awed and uh, inspired. So I definitely want to put a plug in for that conference for this next year. And I know you and I will be uh, probably interacting over the following year. So thanks for your time today. I know you're busy. Thanks so much. Yeah, great to see you. Keep up the good work in Guatemala. Thank you for listening to the Mission Bitcoin podcast. To access the tools discussed today, be sure to use the links found in the show notes. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.